Hello to everyone again. We're thankful again for another opportunity to look into the Word of God and to try to bring out of that something that could be a help to us today, revealing, of course, the work of Christ Jesus our Lord. And, you know, that's the that's the message of the entire Bible. It's not, uh, and there's not a part of it there to improve man or give man self-help in that regard. But the message of the Word of God is that man is unfit and unable to come to God by his merits, that he's sinful and fallen, and that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> made a sacrifice that man could be acceptable and that God through the Spirit and the Gospel delivers that to mankind even today. Uh, and that that is the message of the Bible over and over and over again. And certainly we've seen some wonderful pictures in these feasts of the Old Testament and these holy days in the Old Testament that God was... I, you don't want to say prophesying, but it is prophecy. God is foretelling through these ceremonies what He is going to accomplish in His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we would say today, He, he has accomplished this work in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can look to these prophecies, these types and shadows of the Old Testament, and it helps us to understand... Uh, a little more, the complete work of Jesus Christ. And you know, I, I'll say this, that uh, some people today, they have a hard time when you begin to teach or preach a complete salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ without works because they say that you're providing people the excuse to be saved and live however they want to. Now, I want to be perfectly clear here that I believe 100% in a finished work of Christ for justification and the salvation of man. We don't look anywhere else to be justified with God than Jesus Christ. I do not do anything. I do not live in any way in order to help myself be justified. And it's not left up to me from this day till I die to live in a way in order to maintain my justification. But the Bible teaches a complete work, a finished work, a salvation to the uttermost, a salvation that is eternal, a salvation that's not anchored in man, but anchored in the work of Christ in the holiest of all behind the veil that cannot be lost. But that does not leave people today with the, well, I'm saved, now I'm free to live however I want to, and I will always be saved. But this work of Christ, again, it's all complete in the one work, brings about a transformation uh, into a new creature. And those that God saves, He regenerates them, changes their life, 
changes their desires, changes their behavior, and God makes new creatures out of them in salvation. And so, I go to church not to be justified. I'm already justified. But we go to church today because God wrought within us by His power, by the Spirit, by the Word of God, through salvation, God wrought in us a desire. Today we desire to be at the house of God every single time that the doors are open because we're not captive to the devil anymore. Our desires is not to the devil and to the world. Our desire inwardly in the inner man is to please God. Now, the problem in churches today is not that people as a whole need to do better. And I'm afraid that often the focus is preaching to a people to do better, to live right, and that's where these doctrines of rewards, if you don't live right, you're not going to get this reward and that reward. That's where the doctrine of uh, works included with salvation comes from, trying to get people to live better, to come to church more faithfully, to uh, live cleaner lives in this world. And a lot of times what people are doing, what churches are doing, is they're trying to get lost people to live right. Because the problem, the root of the problem is that people are not saved. And you know that you're going to face a lot of argument if you stand on that firmly because, well, my son, my daughter, my mom and dad, my grandparents, they're saved. They just ain't doing They got saved years ago. But the work of the new creature is missing. Well, if that's missing and the desire to please God is missing, then the work of God is missing. People are lost. They need to be saved. And, you know, God's the one that does the saving. It's not going to hurt one lick to preach a complete salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not. That's what people need is salvation. And when they get saved, they'll do better. God will regenerate them. They'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. So, there's a whole lot less saved than what people believe. That's the truth. You can see the evidence of it in their life. God's not producing in them because God is not dwelling in them. So, uh, I, I hope that that's clear. I, you know, I, I do feel like that there is resistance with a complete salvation because you're giving people an excuse, but that's not the case whatsoever. Um, God's the one that does the life-changing as well. It's all it's all one work, and we're going to see that, that as a result of this atonement, the Day of Atonement, where we are in the Old Testament, the next feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, and I believe we'll see the picture of that when we get there. But we're in Leviticus 16, and we're still looking at this Day of Atonement uh, in the Old Testament. And just to quickly review where we've been, so Aaron, the high priest, Aaron or 
At the time that this was written in Leviticus, Aaron was the high priest. But God knew that Aaron was going to die, so provision was made for those in Aaron's lineage that would be selected as the high priest. They were the only person that God was going to allow to come into the holiest of all and minister during this day of atonement. And this was the only day they could come. And God tells us in the New Testament that the Holy Ghost was signifying something. There was an indication that the Holy Ghost was giving to man by that fact. And it was that there was no access to God. Man had no access to come before God because of his sin and because of his iniquity. Only the high priest could go and only the high priest could go with blood for his sins and for the sins of the people. So there was uh, the bullock and ram that was offered for the high priest, and there were the two goats that were to be brought alive before the Lord. The lots were cast on their heads. One lot was for the Lord. That, ram, that goat was going to die, and its blood placed in the holiest of all on the altar and for the tabernacle, that the sins of Israel the, and the tabernacle, the altar, the holiest, that all of that could be atoned for because of the polluting nature of sin. Sin was so polluting that even the tabernacle had to be atoned for by just sitting in the midst of a sinful people. And we talked about how that the law came to make sin exceeding sinful. And God is signifying there certainly that the sin of man is so great and so wicked and so unclean that even the tabernacle was defiled by their sin just sitting in the midst of it. And we read scripture how that the earth is defiled by sin, the sin of man. So uh, we got there and the other goat was to be the scapegoat or the goat of disappearance or departure. And Aaron was to lay his hands upon the head of this goat, confess all of the sins, and we talked about in the New Testament the requirement of confession, that agreement with God, that that confession was to be made, the sins would be transferred onto the head of this goat, and then we will read, what's to happen with this goat after that the sins were uh, transferred to his head. So, uh, again, Leviticus 16, verse number 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So let's say this. I can't remember if we said this last time. But he says in there, all their transgressions in all their sins. So all of these words are different. And you know, one sin can have many transgressions that come along with that sin. That's the way sin is. It's a very snowballing effect. And we commit one sin, and then we have to lie about it, and then we have to cover it up, and it produces many other sins in it. 
But Aaron is here to confess all of this, the sins transferred, and then he shall be sent away, so removed out of the camp, at the hands of a fit man. So that fit, that means timely, ready, or prepared. And perhaps this was somebody appointed beforehand for this work, somebody that was ready to do this work, somebody that understood what needed to happen in order for the sins to be removed. This wasn't to be a novice or somebody that was not prepared, but this was going to be a man that knew exactly what to do with the head of this goat because remember, this goat is bearing the sins of Israel away from the camp. It's taking their sin away and into the wilderness where that it's going to be forgotten. So you think about a fit man now and what timely or ready or prepared man was it outside of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this fit man in the Old Testament, he had to know what to do with a goat. He had to know what his job was and he had to do it and do it right. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, he was a fit man for the task. He, he And you know, he didn't come without a plan or without an understanding of what needed to take place in order for the sins of man to be removed. In Revelation 13, 8, so when did God come up with his plan? Was this a plan, uh, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden. Did God then have to regroup and set down him, the Spirit, and the Word? Did they sit down at that time with the angels and say, okay, we need to come up with something. They failed what we asked them to do. And the answer to that is no. In Revelation 13, verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain, from the foundation of the world. So this lamb was prepared. This lamb was set aside. This lamb was appointed for death, for the uh, propitiation of the wrath of God, the atonement of man's sins. He was set aside and prepared for this work from the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place before Adam was ever created. God had a plan in place to redeem man, and this lamb was prepared for this work from way before the foundation of the world. And now in John, uh, again, thinking about a fit man, in John chapter 4, verse 32, But he said, Jesus, unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So the Lord says, I've got meat that you don't know of. My meat, what feeds me, 
What brings fulfillment to me is to complete and do the plan of God that God has laid out for me. He had a work laid out for him to do. He knew what that work was. He knew what that work included. And he was prepared, ready, and able to carry that plan out as he was here. Nothing that Jesus done was coincidence, and he wasn't winging it. This was a laid out plan of God that Jesus came to complete and to fulfill. He was a fit man for the job. He was prepared, ready, and timely. In John chapter 7, verse number 6, Then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So here they're having the feast, and it's the feast of tabernacles at Jerusalem. And his brothers say, look, you're doing all this wonderful stuff. Why don't you go up there? They were, in a sense, mocking the Lord Jesus. Because his brothers, at this time, the Bible says, didn't believe. So Jesus says, my time is not yet come. Jesus knew when his time was going to come. It wasn't a surprise when Judas came and kissed him in the garden. The Lord knew from the beginning all that he had to do. It was laid out before him, and he had come to carry it out and to do the will of the Father and to do it perfectly. Another time in John chapter 12, and we'll just stay with John. There's other places you could look and, and glean this message from, but we're going to stay in John and look at these. John chapter 12, verse number 23. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. On down now in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. So the Lord Jesus is realizing here, because he, he gives the parable, I didn't read it. But in between verse 23 and 28, he gives the parable of the corn of wheat that's got to fall into the ground and die in order to bring forth fruit. Well, here the Lord Jesus says the hour's come. It's right now time. It's at hand that I'm going to be glorified and my soul is troubled. He was troubled because he knew what he was about to endure and suffer. He knew the sufferings that awaited him at the cross, at the hands of the Romans and at the hands of the Jews. He knew that. And he was troubled over it. And he said, what am I going to say? Father, save me. Take me out of here. No, I'm not going to say that because this is the very reason that I came into this world. So the Father, you know, and, and you've heard this, and it's not an inaccurate statement that the Lord killed His Son, that we could be saved. The Lord did give His Son to die that we could be saved. But it wasn't murder. The Lord Jesus knew the plan of God. He accepted and desired to carry out the plan of God. He knew what was going to happen to him before he ever came. He knew the plan. He was a fit man, ready and prepared to complete this work. And he says, this is why I came from the very beginning. 
I came for this purpose and for this hour that I might die for man. In John chapter 13, verse number 10, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, ye are not all clean. So Jesus knew that there was one out of the twelve, the most, um, I, I don't know, I don't know what would be a good word there, but the closest that there were to him on the face of the earth, those twelve disciples that were with him continually, that you and I and the disciples themselves would have never guessed that one of them would be the source of betrayal. But the Lord knew. He knew they weren't all clean. He knew that the one to betray him was in their midst. He knew this already. It was no surprise. Nor was Jesus shocked. Again in chapter 18, verse 11. Now here they've come to the Garden of Gethsemane and they're going to take Jesus captive. And Peter, famously draws his sword, and he's going to fight to defend the Lord Jesus. And he smites the servant of the priest's ear off. And this is what Jesus says, John 18, verse 11. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Peter, we're not going to fight. We're not going to resist. This is why I've come into the world. Am I not going to do what God has for me to do? Am I not going to carry out this plan to perfection? And in John chapter 19, these are some of the most famous words I would say that Jesus said. But he's on the cross. They reach to give him vinegar to drink. And verse 30, When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So there, he had a plan that he had to carry out. God had already laid this out. Jesus, being a fit man, ready, prepared, timely, appointed beforehand, had the plan laid out before him. He knew all that needed to be done in order to accomplish this salvation for man. And he endured the cross <clears throat> until all of the plan of God was fulfilled. He fulfilled the entirety of the plan of God and he bowed his head and said, It is finished. Now if he hadn't knew the plan, how then would he have known that it was finished? Now the Lord Jesus was a fit man. He knew what needed to be done and he done it to perfection that you and I could have redemption through his blood. So this fit man then, back in Leviticus, was to take the, the goat that had the sin transferred on its head. He was to take it out into the wilderness and let it go. In verse 22, back in Leviticus 16, verse 22, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. 
So the goat, with all the sin, is taken out into the desert, into the wilderness, into a place where nobody's at. It's let go, and the fit man then returns to the camp. So the picture there is, all of the sin of Israel is on this goat, this goat is taken out and released, and this goat's never saw again. It's not uh, sought after. They're not looking for it. Nor do they ever see the goat again. The sin of Israel has been carried away from the camp and is gone from them. Their sin has been atoned for. So you think about the Lord Jesus and how that he bore our sins and griefs. And we, we talked about this scripture last time, so maybe we won't get too deep into this. Uh, last time when we looked at the scapegoat, we mentioned how that the sins were transferred and the goat bore. And the Lord Jesus, all of our sins were transferred on him and he bore our iniquities that they could be removed from our account, placed on him, and he bore those away. So, in verse 23 now, And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. He shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, put on his garments, and come forth, and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall burn upon the altar. And he that let the goat go for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. So here, Aaron, before he comes out of the holy place, he's offered the blood again, remember. But before he comes out, he's to lay off those white undergarments, wash himself, and put his priestly garments back on, washing away that work, the holiness, where he's been in with God, washing that off before he goes back out into the people. And the fit man, now this is the man that led the, the scapegoat, the goat of departure, he led that goat out into the wilderness. Well, he's to wash himself before he comes back in because he is unclean. So that picture and that type and shadow that you have there is again a point to the pollution of sin. The holiness that Aaron had got on him just by being in the presence of God that holiness could not go back out into the camp amongst the people. And the fit man that all he did was led that goat away and turned it loose. The fit man had to wash because of the sin that was on the head of the goat that he had touched and that he had been near. He had to wash to get that filth off of him. But the Lord Jesus, so holy so pure and so complete. And, you know, I, I just thought of a scripture, and I don't know where it is because I don't have it written down. You can take my word from it, and uh, you can find it. I believe it's in John, but I'm not sure. But the Lord Jesus came to a leper one time. 
And the leper was unclean. He had to cover his mouth when he was amongst the people. He'd have to walk on the opposite side of the road, and he had to call unclean, and nobody could come in contact with these people. And if somebody come in contact with them, they were made unclean. But the Lord Jesus came into contact with a leper one day, and he desired to be cleansed, and the Bible says Jesus reached forth his hand and touched him. Now, if the priest had touched him, the priest would have been unclean. If anybody else would have touched him, they would have been made unclean. But the Lord Jesus touched him, and the Lord Jesus wasn't made unclean, but the leper was made to be clean. So the Lord Jesus, his purity, his holiness, his perfection, his suffering, all of the sin that was transferred upon him, yet he died for that. And he's not unclean today, but he's perfect, pure, and holy. So that pollution of sin. And now listen to this. And the bullock, we're still in Leviticus 16, verse 27. The bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward shall he come into the camp. So, here the bodies of these beasts that had been offered were to be carried outside the camp to be burned completely. So you think there about the pollution of sin even on those bodies that were there that atonement had been made for, that that had to be taken without the camp and burned. And again, remember what we're doing here in Leviticus is we're ridding Israel of all of their sin in a figure, in a type, and in a shadow. That's what is happening. So that those bodies that had made atonement, they're going to be burned up and consumed that all of the sin of Israel might be removed out of the camp and completely done away with and erased, that there would be no pollution left. Well, we read this in Hebrews 10, verse 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not cease to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. So these sacrifices, they couldn't make people perfect. They never did. But there was a continual offering made. Their bodies had to be taken out and burned. That sin might be separated in a figure, in a type, and in a shadow from the nation. Now in Hebrews 13, we've got this mentioned uh, succinctly. So Hebrews 13, verse number 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, 
suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So here we've got that picture, that on the Day of Atonement, the beast, they were killed there in the holy place or in, in the tabernacle. Their blood was used. Their bodies were offered on the altar. And everything that remained was taken outside the camp and burned to do away with the sin, to separate Israel from the pollution of their iniquity. So here, the, uh, the Lord Jesus, he went without the gate. Now remember this that when the bodies went outside the camp and were burned, they had already died. But the Lord Jesus went out alive, and there he died outside the gate. So that the Lord Jesus died outside of the camp to rid man of the sin, the guilt, the filth, to do away with man's sin, that he might have atonement, and a means of redemption and salvation, a means to be pure and separated from the guilt of sin. Remember in Hebrews 10, that conscience of sin is still there. It comes back every year that they have to do this work and make this atonement. But the Lord Jesus, He bore the sin alive on His back to the cross, and there He suffered without the gate that sins could be removed and that man could be forgiven and made whole through his blood. That he might sanctify, that sins might be removed. He suffered with his own blood without the gate. Therefore let us go out to him. Let's not serve in the tabernacle, nor look to religion, not look to works, not look to self or to Jerusalem, to the church. Let's not look to these places for forgiveness any longer, but let's go forth with the Lord. Let's go out to where the Lord was, and let's look to Him for the complete atonement of our soul, because we don't have a continuing city here. We don't have a place to dwell here. It's not about where we are naturally. But it's the Lord Jesus that produces our salvation. Now, the last part of this chapter, Leviticus 16, he's going to lay out that if when Aaron dies, there's somebody to take his place. And he's going to lay out that this shall be a statute forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls. So here, this day, this ceremony is set up to take place every year. There was to be atonement made every year. This was to be carried out yearly. And again, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that there was no true means of man to be atoned for. Sin was never truly done away with because it was remembered every year. But the Lord Jesus, in one offering, one sacrifice, done away with the sin of man, as he says in Daniel, you know, many people are looking for a millennial reign for those 70 weeks to be fulfilled in Daniel. But the Lord Jesus made an end of sin for those that are in him. The Lord Jesus made atonement for man, 
and those that come to him by faith, he's able to save them to the uttermost. I hope that this has been a help. I feel like we've struggled in study, uh, uh, our, our own study of this, and in trying to get it across uh, this Day of Atonement. But I, I hope you've been able to get something out of this that could help you. And, you know, I just pray the Lord would make up for our shortcomings by His Spirit and reveal things to you that could help you. But next time, perhaps uh, next study, we'll look at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that will be our, our final feast in this study. And uh, we'll begin to study something else. I, I, I believe we may look at Elijah and Elisha in our next study and just kind of walk through their lives and their works and the way the Lord used them. So I uh, hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope the rest of your week is well. If you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, I hope the Lord blesses your service greatly tonight. We love you and pray for us.